Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, I've got a great show that we're going to bring you. I'm super excited about it. I've got a good friend. Uh, his name's David, and I'm just excited about his background and his story. But I got to tell you real quick, the way that I met him was through a mastermind with a good friend, Chris Harder. And this is why I just love masterminds and coaching and just the entrepreneurial community in general, because the connections that you make along the way are just huge. And David had actually came into Chris's mastermind and Chris put on this panel of sharks. And so we did this kind of like shark tank thing and we had to you know, pitch our business idea and it was pretty cool. And watching not only all the participants kind of you know, do their shark tank thing, but also just watching the sharks, the way they think about business and you know, the questions that they asked, it gives you some real insight into the way that they think too. And you know, I haven't really gotten to know you very well, David, but I'm excited to, I guess, expand and deepen that relationship because I know with your business background and also just your values in life and the way that you think about people and business, I know you're going to be one of those people that are not only going to be a great mentor to me in my life, not only a great mentor to my audience, but I think you're just a friend to everybody you meet. So I'm glad to have you on the show. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the kind words. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I'm excited to get into it. So the four questions, um, who's had the greatest impact on your life? So I'll add a little color to that because I think a lot of times it, it, a lot of people within business that becomes some sort of a mentor or someone that they looked up to through that life cycle of business. And unfortunately, I didn't have that. And I had really a base guy just made mistakes and learned from them. I didn't have that person. So when I really kind of sit back and reflect on, you know, who that person, it'd be my wife. Mm -hmm. And I think it's largely because she was with me through the whole journey from the very beginning. And I mean, when you talk about impact, she was always that, that cheerleader, but also the tough love when it was needed. And so that's significant and material to my progress, the ups and downs and everything else. So I would definitely say my wife was, was the person and she's not historically a business person. Um, so she had a different perspective and it really helped me a lot. So I'd definitely say her. I love that. And I have multiple comments and questions, but I'm going to circle back to them. If you okay. could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be? Largely the ability to take on initiatives, projects, tasks that you're not 100% sure on how you're going to get it done. Um, and, and maybe I'm saying that because that's how I started my career um, many years ago. I was a, a server at a restaurant and somehow I started talking to uh, one of the, you know, the people I was serving. And I don't know how it got brought up, but they asked if I knew this certain thing technology wise. I was like, Oh yeah, absolutely. I had no clue. Yeah. Uh, but they were offering me an opportunity to, to basically get paid to do a project. I was like, well, yeah, I can absolutely do that. So you better believe after I got done with that, I, uh, you know, went to learn how to do that. <laughs> and that really armed me in a lot of different ways moving forward. I think the, I would say the ability to, you know, just jump in with both feet. And if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to figure it out. And 
And sometimes you won't, but by and large, if you just have the right attitude about it, you're going to get the, the problem solved and you're going to be successful with it. You know, there's this age old question that everybody like entrepreneurs, are they naturally born? Are they grown? And, and as I'm sitting here listening to you, and, and it doesn't really matter what side of the fence I'm on or you're on when it comes to that. But, yeah. you know, I think entrepreneurs are inherently more prone to take that approach that you're talking about. But the reality too, and I think about this, I, I'm a Libra, which, um, you know, I'm always kind of like balancing everything and, and I'm kind of uh, intuitive and emotional too. And I'm always like kind of reading and I feel somewhat sorry for people in this day and age, because the schooling system and the way we're taught and, you know, you're not supposed to get things wrong and you, you get graded on, you know, getting things 90 plus percent, right? And we're, we can't make mistakes. And that's, I think, a detriment to number one, humans in general, but I think it's the entrepreneurs. And again, whether entrepreneurs are born or not, I don't really know the answer to that, but I think it's the people that don't really buy into that whole thing of like, to me, failing forward, uh, John Maxwell's book is one of the greatest books ever because that's how we learn. And when we're not scared to fail and, and we're not scared to get in there and learn, when I hear you say that, like, you're not scared to take on tasks, you don't know how you're going to get it done. You don't necessarily have the skill set. but it reminds me of a quote and I'm, and I'll throw this back to you. I'm curious of your opinion on this. I think it was Colin Powell that said something like, you got to have at least 40% of the information, but most leaders, they act with 60 to 70% of the information where a lot of people, you know, they're trying to gather 90, hundred percent of the information to, yeah. to say yes to that thing that you were saying, you know, they would need that 90% information or 90% know how to do it. Where guys like you are like, man, I've got 50, 50% of the know-how. I'm just going to get in there yeah. and figure it out. Well, I think if you have the right leadership qualities, you're able to fill the delta with the people that you're working with. And that's really the point, right? Leadership, regardless of what the initiative is, is really about guiding the people in the process. Whether you know the nuts and bolts of it is immaterial because that's what they're there for as part of that team, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. I mean, and there's been a lot of examples of that in my career where I've had, you know, very nominal amount of information, but by providing the leadership to bring it together, uh, you're able to solve the problem for sure. Yeah. And I think another piece, not to bounce back, That's but when cool. I think about the greatest impact is, is also, I was unrelentless when I was like building by myself, you know, when I was in an apartment when my wife and I were not even married yet. Um, you know, I was even back in school, I would do school and then I would work and actually do the real learning in my opinion, after school, right? So there is a, there's an element of having that, that work ethic that I think that you have to have. So yes, the ability to take something on that you're not completely sure about, but if you can't back it up with and solve that problem through intense focus and work, then you're never going to get there. So I, I think that not, again, not to bounce back, but I kind of jives together, I think. Yeah. And just for, you know, there's, there's no house rules here. I think, I think bouncing back sometimes is where the gold is. So I'm, I'm happy to do it. And, you know, you said something that reminded me in 2000, I was, I was pretty young then still. I mean, I was probably 19. I went to a Franklin Covey symposium and, uh, Norman Schwarzkopf was speaking there, which Norman was actually a mentor of Colin Powell's. And when you said yeah. that, it reminded me, um, he was talking about Norman's rules and I think it was rule number 13 and what it was, and I'll give the condensed version, but basically you surround yourself with a team that's good enough that even when you go forward and you make bad decisions, that team 
rallies around you and they take that bad decision and they turn that decision around for the good. And that's stuck with me forever. And that's basically, wow. you know, after I said the Colin Powell thing, you, you kind of said the same thing. It's just surrounding yourself with the right leaders, the right knowledge, the right information and realizing we're not going to get it hundred percent of the time, but we've built the team in a right methodology, the right people that we go right. and we succeed through that. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that's great. I actually haven't heard that name Norman in a long time. So right. um, that, that brings me back to being younger for sure. Right. Norman Schwarzkopf. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. hundred percent. Hey guys, it's Mike here. Just taking a second to let you know that we have two spots remaining at the Lake Powell Mastermind, which is a father-son mastermind. So if you're listening to this and you have a son between the ages of 10 and 18 or 19 years old, and you want to join us at Lake Powell, there are two spots remaining. Uh, this is going to be an amazing experience if you've uh, ever been to Lake Powell, or even if you haven't been to Lake Powell. It's one of the most amazing places on earth. We have a houseboat there, which we'll be staying on. Um, all the meals will be uh, taken care of. We'll just have a great time as father and son's out on the lake. Dylan will be teaching wake surfing lessons. We'll be doing some spearfishing. Um, we'll have a Nautique G23 up there that we can uh, ride around and play around on the lake on. And again, uh, lessons from Dylan. So if that's something that interests you, text the word Lake Powell to 480-531-7519. All the guys that are signed up and their boys are amazing. It's going to be an awesome time. So again, if you want to join us, text the word Lake Powell to 480-531-7519 or shoot me a DM on Instagram at the Mike Ayala and we can talk about getting you um, on the boat with us. It's coming up quick. It's uh, mid-September. So if that's of interest to you, let's hop on a call. What was your greatest setback and what did you learn from it? To be frank, I think that I wasn't traditionally trained through finances. Mm. So as I began my career, I, I really started with a blank canvas of knowledge, right? I wasn't, I wasn't um, brought up to really understand credit management or wealth management or leverage or any of those things that we all kind of know and appreciate now. Um, so I had to learn it on my own. And so what happened was the greatest setback that had the greatest lesson, and I, I'm sure this echoes for a lot of people, you know, 2008, 2010, that window um, was dismal at best for me. Um, you know, my business got cut in like 50% in about a 30-day period. And I wasn't prepared for it. I mean, I was money was coming in, money was going out, money was coming in, money was going out. And it was going out to leveraged depreciating assets in some cases, or, you know, whatever it may be. So dealing with the turmoil of that set the stage for how I needed to fill the knowledge gaps moving forward. So I'm glad it didn't happen when I was, you know, 60 years old. And I'm, you know, on my last, you know, chapter, if you will, to of, of wealth creation, it happened early enough to where I was able to level set. Um, so I think it was the greatest lesson for sure, but it, it certainly had a significant negative impact at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I mean, I don't want to do it over, <laughs> but I wouldn't change it. Yeah. What were a couple of the key takeaways that you learned through that process? Um, I think the, the main... Well, I mean, in, in simple terms, don't spend before you have. Mm. I mean, you know, that was part of it. Um, and, and truthfully, it, it comes down to very basic money management. And that's how green I was to it. So I would love to have some like little tip or trick that I had explored um, or hadn't explored and therefore learned at that time. But it was really just basic stuff. Mm. It was understanding how to manage debt, understanding how to manage 
you know, I, I was a hustler. So I was always earning, 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 uh, which is why I was able to come out of it. But, you know, I didn't have, um, I mean, I really it just it, understanding finance, yeah. personal finance is number one before you really start looking at business finance, because if you can't get your own personal situation short up, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to extrapolate that to make mindful business decisions. And as an entrepreneur, let's be honest, you're going to have to leverage your own credit in some cases or PG or personal guarantee in certain places. And you need to make sure that you have a good starting ground. So I think, you know, yeah, I don't know if that answers that question, but yeah. that's, you know, yeah. You know, you know, you, I love what you said there. Um, and so I've said this so many times, I think one of my superpowers, if you will, is making complex things simple because, and it's not even actually making complex things simple. It's just eliminating complexity. I think that's a better way to say it. And I'll be sitting with my team sometimes and, you know, we're like on a 25 minute roundabout and I'm just watching and listening. And I'm like, finally, I'll be like, guys, what are we talking about? Cause like, you know, the real problem is this simple little thing right in front of us. Like you said, understanding personal finance. And I think a lot of times, you know, we, we tend to overcomplicate it. So I love that you bring it back to just the simplicity of it. And I, I realized you were kind of hesitant to, this isn't how you said it, but you're like, guys, it's really simple. But, but sometimes (laughs) we're looking for this like real complex, like, you know, seven step answer to how I, you know, beat the recession in 2008. And the reality is I love what you actually said, because at the end of the day, it reminds me of something. One of my first bosses said, I worked for a plumbing and heating company and I'll never forget him saying one time, if, uh, this, this guy kept borrowing money and I heard him say to the guy, he's like, listen, I can't, if I can't trust you to manage your personal life and expenses, how can I trust you to manage a $2 million project for me? And when I, I was, I was kind of, I shouldn't have been hearing that, but I heard it and it just stuck with me forever. And I love, you know, again, sometimes we're looking for this complex answer, but the reality is it's just, everything comes back to being able to be financeable as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I think you're, I mean, that's an art form, by the way, if you're able to take complex and break it down, um, that's not inherently in a lot of people's, you know, MO. So I think that's a, a great tribute to your ability to do that. But I think most things are simple when you trim the fat mm-hmm. and you know, that's in personal and business. You know, we just like to add a lot of color to it because it makes it justify our feelings of chaos. Right. Yeah. But at its core, it's very basic. Um, and there's a difference between easy and simple, right? A lot of them are simple. It doesn't mean there's easy, yeah. but it is simple in its nature, yeah. right? Yeah. And I don't know if you've experienced this. We'll get into your background and everything else, but I've sat at a lot of tables with, you know, some very smart CFOs, financial planners, private equity guys. And, and this kind of, there's been times, David, where I've felt like stupid because I didn't understand the words they were using, the vernacular, if you will. And yeah. what I've come to realize is like, I think some of that, and I'm not picking on private equity guys or anything, but I just think, you know, the the higher up that we go in the financial planning world and, you know, we need these words and these complexities. And, and I'm not saying that finance isn't complex because it is. And, and that's why, sure. you know, guys like me have to hire CFOs and everything else. Yeah, but yeah, the reality right. at the end of the day is like, I think sometimes that vernacular and the complexity is what makes us feel important when in reality, I just have to cut through the weeds because honestly, I'm not really that smart. I'm just like a normal everyday guy. And so I think that's what's kind of made me hone that skill set is like, okay, what are we really talking about here? Um, And really, it's usually pretty simple. 
Well, hundred percent. I mean, how many conversations have we been in where those big words are thrown around, but really in, in most cases, you put people in a group setting, you're going to have insecurities that are unveiled in different ways. And I think when you have those complex conversations, the, the truly confident person that has the ability to effectively communicate can communicate to an elementary school student on a complex idea. Right. Yeah. So I've been there too. I've been in, you know, M and a conversations and there's times where I'm like, I have no clue what you just said. So I'm Googling it as they're talking and yeah. I get it. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're like, so is that good for me or is that bad for me if we get this deal done? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, yeah. you said something about uh, simple versus easy. And I was sitting across from Robert Kiyosaki at a dinner one time. And, you know, I was telling him that we had been playing cash flow with our kids since they were little and our kids would beat us in the cash flow game. And he was, oh, that's so cool, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know, really at the end of the day, it's super simple. And man, he got like, he kind of laid into me and he's like, it's not simple. And what I was meaning and its use of words it's yeah. not, it's simple in concept if you just bring it down to like rich dad poor dad it's simple in concept yeah. but it's not easy in implementation and execution in our life right and you said it you know simple and easy are two different things really yeah 100% yeah that's interesting yeah what is the piece of advice the single piece of advice that you find yourself sharing the most i think it's probably changed over the years and so it's probably a I feel like where I've landed with that now is through years of different experience. And what I think that is, especially if I'm talking to, I have a, my, my son's 21, right? So he's on his last year's college. He's going to be going into, you know, creating his, his future life. And so I can bring myself back to conversations with him. And, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, when you're, especially when you're talking to young people that are going to go venture into what their career is going to be in their life and so on and so forth. Um, a lot of people talk about the passion, right? Like do what you're passionate about. And, um, you know, if you, if you do something you're passionate about, the money will come. That is not true. A hundred percent. Now, let me clarify. There are people that that has been their, their life and it has ring true. And I think that that's fantastic. I don't think it's a mantra to communicate to people that if you just follow your passion, the money will come where I do think you can be more effective is follow your passion. But while you're doing that, be mindful about how you can maximize your opportunity with it. Mm -hmm. So you can still be passionate about what you're doing, but be smart about, well, if I do this and I don't have a great example, but you know, I really like, um, I really like making uh, blankets. Okay. I like whittling whatever you call it. Right. Mm -hmm. I like making blankets. Okay, well, that's a great passion. But so why don't we look at how can you do that? Um, and instead of selling them to your neighbors, why don't we look at how we can explore like some sort of online exposure to, you know, or potentially look at bringing other people on to make them to create scale and then go online and sell them. So the point being is, if you're passionate, that's great. But still work with a mentor or whoever it may be to, to find a way to maximize the opportunity because and and I think I speak for most people, even if some people don't admit it, money makes things work and it is okay to want to make a lot of money. It is something that you shouldn't be apologizing for because I'll tell you what, it creates a lifestyle that, you know, you can appreciate in different ways. It gives you the opportunity to give in ways you may not have before. Mm -hmm. So follow a passion, but be prudent about the financial economics around what that passion looks like so that you're doing it kind of in parallel, mm -hmm. right? I think there's a lot of people that follow this passion 
not being mindful of economics of it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they spend five, 10, whatever years, like, well, it just didn't work. And it's like, well, it could have worked if you just had a little bit of more foresight or leadership from someone or mentorship, what have you, um, to do it in parallel. So that's kind of a long worded way of saying passion doesn't make money. Passion with literacy on business and finance does make money, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I had mentioned when you uh, answered question number one, and, and I'll dive back into this because I'm interested to dissect it a little bit, but you said something that I think, and I'm glad you tied this back in because I was actually thinking about the passion piece. You said something about, you know, your wife and, and being that cheerleader and the tough love and, you know, when things got hard and, and you, this, what you said was, you know, she wasn't necessarily, she didn't have a business background. And so she gave you a different perspective, but I, what, what I'm curious to dissect there, you know, business gets tough. And mm -hmm. when we, when we come back to that passion piece, and I love that you hit that because, you know, a great example is my son. He's a professional wake surfer and that's his passion. And he's building sure. a business around that. But there's days where just because wake surfing is his passion doesn't mean that he's not getting his ass handed to him. It doesn't mean that there's parts of his business that he doesn't love. And I think when we go into that, you know, there's a couple farces that I think we've done a bad We've done a bad job of, as mentors and coaches, and this is one of them. And I love that you hit it. It's passion. Another one is, you know, passive income, because the reality is like, I love real estate. I'm a real estate guy, but the reality is very little is passive. And so we get into these things where follow your passion or, you know, find passive income and there is legitimate passive income, but the reality is most of this are, are sales pitches. And when you touch on that passion piece, I think I agree with you. That's set up for failure because you're going to have some shitty days. Uh, if you're yeah. following your passion, I don't, you know, if it's cabinet making or blanket making or, or wake surfing or whatever it is, finance doesn't matter. You're going to have some crappy days and crappy months and crappy years where you're like not passionate about, you know, the actual yeah. thing itself. And you got to power yeah. through that. A hundred percent. I think that one thing is interesting. So my passion now, well, is even historically, it really isn't tied to, I think when people talk about passion, they talk about like the product or service, mm -hmm. right? The last business I was in was in payments, right? I'm not passionate about payments and I don't really know who is because that's kind of weird, right? Yep. But I really liked the business model. I liked my business partners. I liked the staff. I liked my role of leadership. I liked the consolidation in the space. I liked the multiples on exit. So I really liked, I was very passionate about all of these components. What we did wasn't, was immaterial to me, right? It could have been, well, we're, we handle medical records uh, digitally, or, you know, we do this or that. I don't really, I didn't really care about that. Mm -hmm. So when you look at passion, it's important to decipher, well, what is it? Because it doesn't necessarily mean the product or service is something that you're like, oh, I go to bed you know, and I just dream about, you know, Visa and MasterCard, you know, like you don't think about it like that. You look at all of the components and sometimes on the peripheral that are very important to, you know, that full kind of comprehensive look at what makes you excited to wake up in the morning. Yeah. You're, you're taking me back to a conversation I had with a kid named Dylan Burns. He was actually at that dinner we were at last week. And, you know, he was, he, I hired him while he was still in college and he was my content guy. And he asked me this question one time, he said, you know, when you started your first company, the plumbing and heating company, were you just like super passionate about plumbing? 
And I was like, <laughs> no, like who's, you know, who's passionate about plumbing? But what I told him, right. you know, I was passionate about delivering a better level of customer service than the company that, you know, there was nothing worse than showing up at a job site or showing up at a customer's house and they're frustrated because they've been canceled on twice because, you know, certain information wasn't relayed because they didn't know how much money they're going to be charged, all these things. And so what I was passionate about was number one, building a better customer service experience through a dispatch process, et cetera. But then number two, being better to my employees because I felt like we were always treated bad. And, you know, um, yeah. the, the girls in the office were always, I should be careful because I don't know who's listening to this podcast, but <laughs> I, I just wanted, it had nothing to do with plumbing. That was the product, right? It had everything to do with, and, and we delivered that. We built an excellent customer service experience. We grew that company to over a hundred employees, but it wasn't, there's, I used to tell my technicians this, there's nothing different between the competitor's American standard toilet and my American standard toilet. The difference is you, the difference is yeah. the process, the difference is the delivery. It's how we take care of them. And that's what I, I'm so excited that you brought up the passion piece. Yeah, I think there's a piece of um, there's a humanity piece that you have clearly with you know that customer service. What does that really mean? It means that I'm making people happy. I'm contributing to the world in some way. I'm I'm helping, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, there's a, an exchange sure. service for compensation, right? But um, I think that's a form of giving. And I think when it comes to a lot of different ways that create passion, I think good leaders and good entrepreneurs, um, there's always a component of of contributing. Uh, that ties to it in some way. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can really be effective as a leader or as an entrepreneur without, even if it's, you know, you got to peel a few layers back, but there's typically some sort of contribution that is important to other people that ties to it. Yeah, no, I love it, man. Um, circling back to question number one, you know, one of mine and Kara's passions is the couple's mastermind and doing couple work because, you know, we've said this so many times, but, um, I don't think that there's any, I don't think that there's more, any po more powerful partnership than when a husband and wife are aligned and they're pulling in the same direction. And it doesn't mean that it's perfect. Um, and there's yeah. challenges, but when, when, when you said that your wife had the greatest impact on you and surprisingly enough, I've kind of narrowed this down to like, you know, impact. And a lot of times it is the mentor. A lot of times it's mom or dad. Many, I, I've surprisingly had, uh, multiple people say themselves, which I've had to dissect sure. and really work through. But a lot of times yeah. it is the significant other, the spouse or a business partner. And I'm curious just because we do so much couple work and I'd like to dissect this a little bit. Your wife wasn't really, she didn't have a background in the business, but you said she was like your main cheerleader. But then also I love how you brought in the tough love component. And I'm right. curious because I have a lot of conversations with like hard charging men. I mean, we talk about the GoBundance group a lot and there's a lot of chatter there about, um, and just in general, not GoBundance, but you know, the wives are not as involved. I wish my wife would get more involved. But then I also hear this other side of it where it's like, you know, my wife doesn't want me to do this. My wife doesn't want me to do that. And so I'm curious yeah. how you navigate, be, you know, you're, you're a pretty, uh, I don't, I've never worked with you, but I'm guessing that sure. as humble and as awesome and as loving and caring as you are, I'm pretty sure that you're, you oh, know, probably a hard charging guy as well. And so I'm curious, how do you navigate that between the cheerleader and the tough love? Like, has it ever been a challenge? You know, by and large, we've had, so like I said, she's not historically in business, right? But she's this, she has a, a very different personality than I am. 
or that I have. And she has the ability to look at people in a different way. Um, I am more of that aggressive, hard charging, you know, person. Um, and so she kind of reels me back into reality sometimes because I am very passionate and I, I tell her I, I love passionately and I hate passionately. <laughs> and so I'm, you know, on this wide spectrum and she can sometimes help align me into something that's a little bit more conducive for my own sanity. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been, there's certainly times where I, I have fundamentally disagreed with, you know, the approach that she would take per se. She didn't understand the the nuts and bolts of it. But like we said a, a few minutes ago, when you just look at it in its simple terms, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need to know all the details to have an effective, you know, discussion about something, mm-hmm. which is super weird that we're just bringing this full circle down to the, the 60 or 70%. But, you know, I, I don't think it's been very challenging. I mean, there's times where I probably was like, yeah, she doesn't know what she's talking about. But in there are times where I've probably said you don't know what you're talking about, but then I reflect on it, you know, later on that day and I'm like, oh, that's kind of a good point. So I have made material decisions oftentimes based on her input mm-hmm. um, because I would have maybe been more reactive or I would have maybe been more of like a bull in a china shop. And I think that she has probably taught me what I think is one of the greatest gifts for someone who is hard charging and direct. And that is diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Diplomacy has bought me more goodwill and business than most attributes. And I find that I'm, I've been pretty effective with it and I leverage it quite a bit because I think it helps build those relationships and even deal with contentious relationships. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, uh, are you familiar with Naval Ravikant? Uh, I don't believe so. So, he, he's a guy that you know, one of a good buddy of mine recommended his book and it's called the almanac of Naval Ravikant. And this guy, I'm pretty sure he's in the tech space, but he's also a, you know, a VC an angel investor. And I, I think he's, I think he's done really well and he's a pretty smart guy when it comes to, you know, just business and talent in general. But when I was reading sure. his book, he made this comment in the book and it's a 200 page book. He said, the most important decision you'll ever make in business is the person yeah. you marry. And I was oh, like, unequivocally, yeah, go ahead. I'm curious. Like, yeah. Well, you know, think about it this way. I, um, I, and I, I don't think people think about this as much as they should. And where I find that it stifles people that want to expand. Right. So I've had friends that, um, maybe had a very safe, you know, W2 pension type gig. Right. Mm-hmm. And they want to grow. They want to expand. They want to trim their retirement five years earlier, whatever it may be. And I've enjoyed talking through that and mentoring some of that process of how that could happen. But it, but who's over here mm-hmm. is has a louder voice than you know Dave talking to someone, right? Yeah. And I find that who you marry is is probably one of the most impactful indicators of where someone's going to go. Um, because you're either going to cage an animal so long and then they're going to start biting Mm -hmm. or you're going to let them out and you're going to be able to flourish together. And I think about when things are good, it's not a challenge, right? So there's been times in my wife's, in my relationship where of course she's not going to be mad that I'm an entrepreneur. Like she's just loving every second of it, but she also earned that through trials and tribulations that I experienced in there for her, wherein you know, back again, you know, in the last recession, um, there was some really challenging times. And she had mentioned one time, and I remember where I was sitting, she's like, 
have you considered getting a job? Mm. And I'm sure I was pretty emotional at the time because, you know, the, the bank account was low and, you know, things weren't working out. And, and I said, no, um, I may have said yes, but I was like, I don't think that's the right decision. I have to keep pushing along. Well, she's part of that journey, mm-hmm. right? So I may have all this courage and say, you know, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to, I'm going to find a way. Well, she's either a participant in success or a victim of the loss. Mm-hmm. So she has to carry that as well. So the person and, and she supported that, right? So if she wasn't, imagine the friction you'd have. And that would eventually end in a problem down the road. So I think it's super important to find someone that, you know, I mean, yeah, I think that's huge. And I'm thinking about it more emotionally right now. And that's sad. I'm just like spirited in the sense of like, yeah, that's huge. Mm-hmm. You so, know, yeah. And and that's why I think I love the couples mastermind work because a lot of times it's not, you know, we were talking about simple. There's like this thread, but even as, okay, so marriage is actually quite simple. It's not easy, um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, uh, it's quite simple. And, you know, yeah. the one thing, if, if, if there was one thing that, that Kara and I probably come back to and teach more often than not, it's like, how often are you guys going on a date? Like how often do you connect just, you know, you and her. And what I love about what you just said is even in those tough times, like you guys were communicating. And the reason why we love date nights is because it puts you on a consistent routine and pattern of learning to communicate. And even sometimes, you know, when Karen and I are together, it's, I don't have as much to say and that's okay. And sometimes we have a ton to say and that's okay too. But I think most people don't communicate and whether it's in the workplace whether it's entrepreneurs with their employees or, you know, fathers and sons or worst case scenario, like husbands and wives. And I think, you know, that's the single piece of advice that we find ourselves sharing the most in the couples mastermind is like, make sure that you're going on. It doesn't have to be date night. Maybe it's date breakfast or date coffee or whatever, but because it, it creates that, that consistent check-in and communication. And in those hard times, if you can't communicate in good times, how yes. the hell are we going to communicate in hard times? Like, that's crazy. 100%. And I think it's interesting. I have quite a few, uh, some of my close friends, their spouse knows very little about their day-to-day business mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And I think it's even such that my wife, you know, when we had the last business, um, I think there's probably times where she's like, God, can you stop telling me so much, <laughs> right? But I like to talk to her. I feel good when I communicate to her. I feel good when I get feedback from her. And I think you're 100% right. Even if it's just a quick bike ride just to connect and talk about it, mm-hmm. um, I think that's mission critical for sure. Yeah. I remember same period of time. It seems like it seems like everybody in our generation of business owners has a 07, 08 through 10 war <laughs> story. But I had a gold mine. I had a gold mine that went bankrupt on us in in late 07. And they owed us... or something, which was a ton of money for my company at that point in time. And things were starting to slow down. You could see the cracks forming. It was, it was a rough time. And, and that happening at that period of time was, was challenging. And, you know, I remember without getting in the weeds, I mean, I'm, I mean, first off that's challenging enough, but then secondly, you know, we had just gone on a growth spurt the last two years and I was again up over a hundred employees. And, you know, we ended up laying off like 30 employees between like October and December of 2007. And 
you know, I think a lot of people don't think about this because they just see the, you know, the evil entrepreneurs and capitalists. And we spend a lot of money and time and energy and and passion, you know, developing our workforce and finding them and getting to know them. It's a small family business. And when you have to make decisions like that, you know, it leaves scars on you. And and oh, that was yeah. a that was a rough time for me, not only, you know, not getting paid. We eventually got paid, but it was a challenge, but also having to, you know, change your entire company and, and you're working twice as much because you're, you know, filling positions. And I'll yeah. never forget, this was the point of all this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm back to working probably 80, 90 hours a week. And, 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 you know, Kara was always cool about that. My kids were always cool. I think communication is a key. Hey kids, I'm yeah. in this really busy time. Uh, I need some grace, but I'll never forget one day Kara said to me, she's like, you know, you're, you really need to, you, I think you really need to like check in because you're, you're stressed out. I'm worried about you. You're not the same person. The way you're treating the kids isn't the same. So it's not so much the fact that we're grinding and having to work. You have seasons, like you said, in question number, yeah. it's sometimes it's not that easy, but, yeah. but she, she gave me that check, you know, and she's telling me this and I'll never forget, David. I said, what do you want me to do? Like, we, I could lose everything. We could lose the business. We could lose our house. And she looked at me and she said, what are they going to do? They're going to take our kids. Are they going to take me away from you? Like, and yeah. I was just like, yeah. what do you say to that? Cause it's true. Yeah, it is a hundred percent true. It's hard to remember that though, when you're in the thick of it, you know? Um, yeah, I, and she's hundred percent right. And I, I think that that's sometimes a very grounding feeling um, that kind of gives you some calm of the chaos when you have someone who has the ability to say that to you. Yeah. And you know, when I see guys like you that have built successful businesses, you've had an exit, you're probably not done facing business challenges because you know, the, the, the next monster, the next devil, the next mountain's bigger than the last one. But I love yeah. what you said at the beginning there, you know, your wife, the most important person, she's your cheerleader, but also that tough love and the check-in. And, and really that was like such a, like you said, that was such a down to earth moment for me, because really at the end of the day, if a guy like you lost everything tomorrow, you'd figure yeah. out how to get it all back again, because you, they can't take your knowledge. They can't take your yeah. information. They can't take your connections and they can't take your most important relationships, your wife and your kids. hundred percent. I think that that's something that, um, there's been some dismal times, you know, and not just in that period, right. We've all had this, you know, ebb and flow, um, whether you're dealing with a dismal time of the moment or a dismal time you're borrowing from the future, which we do a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you, if you bring it down to the simple terms of what your family values are, um, or your value as a man, um, it can oftentimes just take things down a notch because it doesn't feel so heavy mm. because at the end of the day, you know, if I've got my kids and my wife and, you know, then your, your core is good. But I, I, this sounds crazy, but I, I oftentimes when I get into these cycles of historically, um, of those dismal moments, I would think about what would happen right now if I just got a call from a doctor that my, my youngest son had a brain tumor, mm. right? Or my wife was just diagnosed with stage four cancer something. Yeah. I try to like build it up in my head to be very scary and painful. And it immediately calms me. It immediately fills me with gratitude. It changes the value I'm placing on this challenge mm -hmm. And it completely just shifts your perspective. Now, I know I'm doing it through the modality of a dismal future, right? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but it works for me and mm. I've used it quite a few times and, you know, I think it helps me feel grateful for what I have. Well, it's so easy to get tied up in the little things that just don't even matter. And, and oh, that, yeah. that brings you back to center. Um, so yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, let's, um, I mean, unless you have anything more, I think that was a great thread and great conversation. Let's shift to, I'd love to just learn a little bit more about your background and what you're working on now. And, um, how'd you become a shark? <laughs> Yeah. So it's, it's actually funny. So as it relates to the, well, I'll, I'll come back to the Chris Harder connection. That was really an interesting story, but um, I started in the branding and marketing space in like 2000, well, before the e-com, you know, 1999 ish, if you will. Um, I had an e-commerce business at the dawn of that. Uh, I had the wrong partner, which many of us have already done. Mm-hmm. Um, I dabbled in a few things. I was young and dumb and just trying to, you know, trying to learn business by doing it, right? Instead of being traditionally trained, I thought I would just jump in. And which is funny, if I look back in time, I realized, man, you had no idea what you were doing, like on any level, right? Uh, but I got into the branding and marketing space and I, I, I started an agency and I kept it pretty small uh, at the beginning, because I didn't know what I was doing. And then also because I liked the flexibility that I had. And I had always had a dream of moving to the beach, uh, to live on the beach, because I like surfing. And I grew up in Arizona. So um, in 2015, we moved uh, to California, so we could live on the beach. And it was just this amazing experience to fulfill this dream since I've you know been a kid. Well, I liked it there. Um, and my wife and kids wanted to move back because their friends and family were here in Arizona. So uh, we did move back and it's the best thing that ever happened because when we moved back, I had met with a colleague and friend of mine from college um, who actually at one point in time was a client on the branding and marketing side and they had the payments company and they, um, we, we had a meeting where within an hour and a half of them saying, Hey, we have some branding and marketing needs. Long story short, we decided that I'm going to come on as the CMO and I'm going to be a partner. Nice. And I was, the whole time we were in, in, in California, my plan was I need to build this agency into an exitable business within 10 years. Mm. And that's a long time in my mind now, but agencies are a much harder to scale type of business, right? Yeah. So I had to give runway. And that was my focus. I was super excited. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I had, I mean binders of notes and this and that. And then it got unwound in an hour and a half. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm getting into the payments business. So I did that. Um, I transitioned over and it was very obvious quickly that the CMO role wasn't right for me. Um, I ended up, the board voted me in as the uh, COO. So I was the chief operating officer for the duration. And the reason why I did it, it was really because I know the space is highly scalable um, there's a lot of consolidation. And just to be frank, I wanted an exit. Mm-hmm. And this was an opportunity to do it faster than an agency, right? So I did that. And it, it was a four and a half year period. Um, I was largely at the helm of many of the pieces of the business to grow it. Um, I started diligence for the exit uh, eight months before we did. So it was about four and a half years and we 10 X the value from the time I got there until the time we left or, you know, exited. And it was an incredible education. And it really taught me a lot about when I talk about the passion, 
where some passions I didn't even know I had developed, mm-hmm. right? Um, in terms of the leadership piece and so on and so forth. It also showed me that the branding and marketing piece wasn't really where my heart is, mm-hmm. right? It was, it was providing for my family and I like it. And ironically, I'm really like numbers and finance. And I also was in branding and marketing for 20 years. So I don't know what brain I'm using, but something is in there. <laughs> and so anyways, we went to the exit and they, uh, um, they didn't want three of the owners uh, through a transition. Um, they ended up acquiring two of us. And so it was December 31st, 2020. We had a 10 p.m. close for Arizona time so we could get 2020 tax treatment. And they wanted Canadian tax treatment for 2021. So it was 10 p.m. close for us, midnight for them. Wow. And yeah, it was really exciting, you know, New Year's Eve for sure. Uh, and then, but it was weird because all of a sudden it was like hustle, hustle. I mean, I'm in diligence. I was managing all the diligence for eight months and all of a sudden ink on paper done. And I remember the next week I was, you know, just have it. You pull up your email and I'm like, Hmm, there's nothing there. You know, there's no phone calls. There's no nothing. Um, so that was obviously a really great experience, but then I started getting into, uh, some real estate stuff. I'm a big fan of the multifamily stuff. I've been doing some of that. Um, I have some other real estate stuff and I'm sure at some point you and I end up, may end up talking, um, that I want to get into. Um, but I'm really focused. I'm doing some consulting right now and I've worked with, um, a, a local gal here on her startup for smart sense, which you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the FinTech space is, I like it. I love the the model. I'm obsessed with models um, more than service and product mm-hmm. um, because I look at it in terms of the seasons, right? I mean, how many seasons do I have before I want to, you know, kind of, you know, not do it anymore. Yeah. But what I did learn, and I, I've actually had this conversation last night with Aaron, the, I don't think it will ever stop working because this last year and a half has taught me that that is not fun to not wake up and have a specific business goal for me, mm-hmm. like something I'm driving towards. Yeah. It's a very lackluster feeling, right? You can only vacation so much and have fun and, and play Oculus at, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon. Right. <laughs> yeah. So having that purpose and, and vision for something greater is something that I don't think will ever stop. But um, this is a highly scalable business that we're raising capital for right now. And, you know, once you're able to secure that, I think it's going to be an amazing opportunity. Uh, but I, I really like having my fingers in a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, I want to get into, I, mean, I won't, I won't even go into everything right now, but I have a lot of different things I'd like to participate in. So being able to along that journey, contribute to people like, you know, your audience and be able to, mm-hmm. I mean, I really want to help people that are maybe in a different stage or learn from people that are further advanced. Uh, but I like the process right now of being able to connect with people and help them where I can. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, you said something that I, I really relate to. In 2014, and I'll, I'll tell this story real quickly and then ask you a question about it. In 2014, um, my wife and I sold our business, uh, plumbing and heating company. And honestly, like I wasn't even... The difference, I think, between probably you and I is like I didn't have exit on my brain when, you know, when I started building this and also like even getting into real estate in my mind, I, I had a goal of buying 
two income producing properties a year for 10 years. And then I figured by the time I was 65, I'd still have this company and, and I yeah. have a retirement too. So that's kind of where my brain was at. Um, yeah. but then, you know, some things started happening, which I won't get into, um, my wife and, you know, just her wanting to evolve and some thoughts. And it really set us on this trajectory where, you know, I started thinking about maybe, maybe not necessarily selling the business, but maybe not being involved in it on a day-to-day -day basis. Anyway, universe lined up, God came along and we had an exit in 2014. And I've often said the day that I closed was the best and worst day of my life because yeah. 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 I mean, like, I mean, I still get yeah. to this date, I still get a multiple, multiple, multiple six figure check from an exit. So it was great. It was a great day, but yeah. I'm, and I'm 30, I was 34 or 33 years old, 34. And so like I have achieved the American dream. Right. But yeah. I lost my yeah. purpose, man, because I was not, I was not ready for, you know, who, who's Mike after this. And so I'm curious, I'll toss it back to you, but it sounded like, it sounded to me like you were maybe a little bit more mentally prepped than I was for an exit, but, but also still, it was like, I'm curious what it was like after that. I don't think that I was mentally prepared at all, to be honest with you, because I didn't even know that I would experience some of the feelings that I did. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, the American dream talks about retirement as, you know, you're going to go golfing and travel the world and this and that. But I'm not ready to retire for one. Number two, I still have a day-to-day -day life. I have kids that have to go to school. I've got kids that got to go to football or cheer or whatever. You know, I have like a busy family life. And when you have such a big piece of your mind space 24 hours a day, that's absorbed in doing something and accomplishing something. When you remove that, you have this empty space and you don't know how to fill it. Mm. Right. Um, I have been feeling it in different ways, but it's a pretty big jug, right? I mean, you think about how much space you spent, you know, on this business and I, I wish I had been, I don't think you can prepare anyone for it, to be quite honest. Mm. I think it, it was something that I'd never thought, um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't dismal at its core, yeah. but there was definitely days where I'm like, God, you know, I, I'd put my head on my pillow. I'm like, what did I do today to contribute, yeah. you know, to add value mm -hmm. and, um, or show up for myself. Right. I'm like, well, okay, well, I went to the gym this morning and then, um, and, uh, then I brushed my teeth and went to bed. <laughs> right. So I don't think you can be prepared for it, but I do think that, um, just being aware of the fact that if you are in business and you are heading towards some great transition, just don't get too caught off guard, you know, always. And I think just staying busy. Now I know people say, well, busy is not good, productive, whatever you want to call it. The bottom line is keep your mind space producing, yep. right? Yep. Fill it with something productive that is meaningful. Yeah. Um, and meaningful doesn't mean passionate. Meaningful could mean I don't care about it. I just want to make a ton of money. When it comes to real estate, I don't care about it. Yeah. I just want to generate cash yeah. and I'm not going to hide it. That's yeah. just the bottom line. Yeah. I don't care about the apartment complex yeah. at all. Right. But I care about the model and so on and so forth. So it fills mind space, right? So I think just making sure you can fill that mind space and, and hopefully have some meaning in it as well. Right. Yeah.
Well, and that's also why you team up with like a good property manager at the apartment complex because they care, hopefully, right? Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. Um, no, I love it, man. This has been a great conversation. I want to be cognizant of your time. Any Anything else that you want to share that's on your heart um, or on your mind? Honestly, and I hadn't even thought about this until going on this, I think that um, if you have people within your you know, area of influence or audience that are early in the process, right, of, of entrepreneurship in, in some capacity, I would be more than happy to help them in some way, right? I mean, I've, I've done this in a, diff- a few different areas, and I found that um, it's just my way of giving back in some way. Um, no, it's not going to be us meeting eight hours a day for the next three months or something, but I really like helping young people because our young entrepreneurs, I mean, but that doesn't mean that's not age. That's sure. young to entrepreneurship because I had no one help me. I had no mentor. I looked for them. I could never find them. And at the end of the day, that is a big thing for me is if I can help give someone guidance and send them on their way, uh, just feel free. And I'd be happy to help anyone of your audience or, you know, colleagues or whatever. Uh, and if it's not fruitful, fine. But if it is, and I can add value, then I'd be more than happy to set up calls or whatever it may be to help people. So, wow. That's amazing, man. Very, very generous. Um, how do people get in touch with you? Um, you can go to David Sean. My last name is super fun to spell. Uh, David Shonaker.com or David underscore Shonaker on Instagram. Um, that'd probably be the best. Cool. Well, we'll put all that in the show notes and then I'll tag yeah. you on Instagram and yeah. all the good awesome. stuff. So, um, yeah. man, I, I gotta tell you, uh, from the, you know, there's just some people, and again, we haven't spent a lot of time together, but from the time that I briefly met you at Chris's thing and, and just a couple of times we've been together, I love the way you show up in life. Um, I love the way you make everybody around you just feel, you know, important and great. And, and I don't think that that's something that you, you know, probably work on. I think it's just who you are. So I appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that for sure. I appreciate having me on. I think it's a, a compliment. So thank you. Well, look forward to many more and thanks for being on the show. Cheers, brother. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.